You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. Wow, what a day we had yesterday, didn't we? Um, uh, beautiful weather, uh, beautiful wedding. Uh, was anyone at it? No, I don't doubt it. But um, Beautiful cup final, unless you're a Man U fan. Oh man, that was... Uh, that's not good for us, those of us that support the Manchester side of that one. Anyway, um, as Tom says, um, I'm going to uh, be carrying on the series in 1 Timothy, which is uh, Paul writing to Timothy in Ephesus. Uh, and I'm going to ch- pick up on 1 Timothy chapter 6, uh, two verses there, verses 17 and 19. And in my Bible, these verses are entitled, The Charge to the Rich. So this is, what they, this is what they say. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves treasure in heaven laying a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So building on that, I want to share four biblical principles this morning regarding God's generous heart to those in need. And if I was going to give the talk a title, that would be it, God's generous heart to those in need. And although 1 Timothy, the 1 Timothy verses refer to the rich, the ones I've just read, I believe it's easy to see that while the rich might have particular responsibilities to others by virtue of the resources they've been given, the biblical principles we're going to be looking at actually apply to us all. Okay, so what I'm going to do really, I'll just set out what I'm going to be doing this morning. Firstly, I'm going to pull out these four biblical principles. I'm then going to talk about a number of individuals who inspired by those principles, have done extraordinary things in terms of meeting the needs of others. We'll then look at some of what we're doing already in Hope Church, and we're doing quite a lot to serve the town in different ways. And then um, I think uh, briefly, we'll be thinking briefly about where we go from here, what we do in the future. So I want to get into this by looking at one of Jesus' most famous parables, the parable of the Good Samaritan. So if you want to, you could look that up. It's Luke 10, um, or you can follow it on the screen. I think it's, I think it's coming up. There, there it is. Okay. This is what it says. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, Jesus replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But the expert in the law, wanting to justify himself, asked Jesus, so who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said the following parable. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. 
A priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite. When he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side also. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Look after him, and when I return I will reimburse you for any expense you may have. Which of these do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Said Jesus. The expert in the law replied, The one who had mercy on him. Jesus said, Go and do likewise. I uh, really like this parable. I suppose, along with the prodigal son, the story of the prodigal son, it's probably the best-known parable. They'd be the best, two best-known parables in the whole Bible. And Rachel and I used to run a Christian outdoor center. You, you might not think so, looking at us now, but we did. Uh, we used to do a sketch based on this parable to our visiting groups. Um, we always said, can we do a barbecue for, on the, for you on the last night. Can we do some entertainment? We also did, we always did some, we also got, got a Christian message to them and we did sketches. Uh, I probably did that sketch on, on, this, uh, on, the, on the parable of the, of the Good Samaritan three or four times a week for the best part of six years. Man, I could do it for you now, actually, if, if you like. Um, but I'm, I'm noticing you're not looking too keen. So... <laughs> Many of us will be very familiar with this parable, and uh, the sketch we certainly made us that way. But it's easy, therefore, to forget actually how incredibly radical it was to those to those who heard, who heard it. Jesus uh, places the story on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. Um, it's about a 17-mile trek. It goes through mountains and uh, desert country. Uh, and parts of it go through some really rocky areas, ravines, lots of caves. I think there's some pictures coming up. Uh, it's an ideal place for robbers to hide, and, and that's exactly what they did. You could call it bandit country. Everyone knew that you wouldn't just go that way on your own. If you did, you'd be asking for trouble. Jesus is very deliberately saying, don't walk by on the other side because you're being judgmental to someone who's been foolish, who has brought problems on themselves. Don't walk by on the other side just because he's, he was a bit of a fool to go down that road. That's what he was saying. Be a good neighbor anyway. So what about the priest and the Levite? Is there any defense for them? Well, Jesus deliberately picked a priest, a priest and a Levite to demonstrate a point. The irony he was making is this that they were the ones charged with being, uh, looking after the poor. They were the ones charged with having a heart for the poor and doing something about it. But they just walked on by. And then there's uh, the Samaritan. In choosing a Samaritan, Jesus was tearing down in one fell swoop uh, all, all the cultural prejudices of the day. The Samaritans and the Jews were kind of sworn enemies. You know, in, in, in John 8, when Jesus is talking 
And uh, he's, he's basically saying to the Jews, if you really knew God, you'd really know who I, I am. And uh, they said, is it not true that you're demon-possessed and a Samaritan? You know, this is the worst thing they could, they, they could think of to call him. The Jews and the Samaritans were just, you know, enemies. And although the Samaritan was the one who had every reason to walk by, uh, he didn't. The priest and the Levite and everyone listening knew that God's law demanded mercy to one's neighbor. The priest and the Levite had all the biblical knowledge, all the ethical principles, and a clear duty to the man lying half dead in the road. But it was the Samaritan, motivated by compassion, who showed mercy. He showed mercy to his sworn enemy. Jesus was saying to the so-called expert in the law, if you're really asking who is my neighbor, you're showing partiality. You're saying, surely there are only certain people I need to love as myself. And Jesus' point was really clear. Loving your neighbor means showing no partiality. It means showing no distinction between people. Showing no partiality means loving people even if they've brought calamity on themselves. It shows, showing no partiality means loving people regardless of color, religion, race, status, or age, or any other category you, you choose to mention. Loving people regardless of sexual orientation or lifestyle. Loving people who are ill or unkempt, who have mental health issues or disabilities or drugs and alcohol problems. Loving people, even if they hate you, reject you, and persecute you. When Jesus said, go and do likewise, he was saying, you should be prepared to help anyone in need, anyone, even if they're your sworn enemy. Jesus had a track record in that. He said uh, earlier in Luke, he says this, if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do that. But I say to you, love your enemies, do good and lend expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you'll be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the grateful and to the evil. Wow, I'd never, I'd never noticed that before. It actually says he'll be kind, he is kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. Be merciful, therefore, even as your father is merciful. So had he been honest, the expert in the law could have said, you're asking us to love our worst enemies. How can anyone be that righteous before God? And had he done so, Jesus could have said, you can only do this as you understand that you yourself are a recipient of God's mercy. When we recognize our spiritual bankruptcy before God, when we see we cannot attain righteousness on our own, when we see that even when we put on our best moral efforts, we come nowhere near to the perfect righteousness of God, then we see the need to avail ourselves of the righteousness of another one who demonstrated the most costly identification ever with our needs, one who gave up heaven to come to earth, one who impoverished himself even to death that we might receive the grace 
and mercy of God. So 2 Corinthians 8, 9, verse 9 says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Isn't that fantastic? You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. So in Leviticus 19, it says this, You shall treat the stranger who temporarily stays among you as a native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers once in the land of Egypt. He's basically saying, Remember, you were once slaves in a foreign land, and I had mercy on you. I rescued you from your slavery and brought you into freedom. Remember who you are. Remember who you are, a redeemed people. As Christians, we have become aware of God's incredible mercy to us, haven't we? If we really understand that, how can we not show mercy to others? That is the story of the, of the, of the Good Samaritan. That is, what is, that is what Jesus is saying to us. So this is principle number one on my list. Um, I think it will come up. There we go. So this is principle number one. Be merciful even as, even as your Father is merciful to you. As recipients of God's extraordinary mercy to us, how can we not show mercy to those around us? That's point one. Don't worry, they'll, they'll get quicker, these points. There's a very sobering story in Matthew 25, and the end of it goes like this. The king says, depart from me, for when I was hungry, thirsty, sick, or in prison, you did not help me. And the people reply, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. Wow, that's amazing, isn't it? You know, if we're not doing it to people in need, we're not doing it to Jesus. We're not doing it to the king. Proverbs 40, 14, 31 puts it another way. Whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker. And whoever is kind to the needy honors God. So this is point two. It's coming up. God says, I, even God, I identify with the poor and those in need. Okay, so let's go on to points three and four just quickly. And the first one, point three, is based on James chapter two. What good is it, my brothers, it says in James, if someone says he has faith, but does not have works. Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed, lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So you, you could read that and think, man, if... That's the, that's, the, that's the key to Christianity. I've got to do good works. But we need to be a bit careful. He's not saying that good works make you a Christian. Because in many other places, 
including in Romans and Galatians and Ephesians, it says that you are saved by faith. It says in Ephesians 2.8, for example, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. It is not a result of works so that no one can boast. Now, what James is saying is not good works make you a Christian. What James is saying is that being a Christian makes you do good works. Yeah? Do you get that? Being a Christian makes you do good works. It's like evidence that you're really a Christian. Evidence you're really a Christian. He's saying that the gospel changes us. Works of service to others in need is a natural consequence of being a Christian. It's evidence of God's work in our lives. It's evidence of our salvation. Does that make sense? That's point number three. And finally, point number four is based, or principle number four, is based on 1 John 3. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. But if anyone has the world goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart, how does God's love abide in him? Which is really saying, your attitude to those in need is an indication of the extent to which you have God's love in your heart. And God is love. And if you haven't got God in your heart, then you have to ask yourself, have I really met this saviour? Have I really, am I really a Christian? Your attitude to those in need is an indication of where your heart is. And where your heart is is an indication of the, of the reality of your faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, so here are the four points then, just to go through them again, the four principles. We are to be merciful as he is merciful. As recipients of God's extraordinary mercy to us, how can we not show mercy to those in need around us? Number two, God says, I identify with those in need. Number three, helping those in need is a natural outworking of being a Christian. It's evidence that we've been changed by his grace. And number four, our attitude to helping others is an indication of where our heart is. Okay? That's the introduction. <laughs> no, that's, um, that's an important body of the, of, the, of the preach. But I now want to go on to uh, talk about the lives of a few people who have taken those principles and applied them, applied them and it achieved extraordinary things as a result. And I'm going to go through a kind of biography of one of them now. And uh, if you know who this is, I'd like you just to uh, indicate uh, and call out. Just see who gets there first, okay? It's not a competition, but uh, be interested to know. So he was born near Nottingham. You, you won't get it from that, don't worry. Uh, in April 1829, he was one of four children. He got converted at the age of 15. When he was 20, he moved to London and eventually trained as a Methodist minister, which he became aged 29 in the year 1858. No guesses yet. He was an extraordinary evangelist and a fearless preacher. He founded an organization which was first called the Christian Mission. Yes, well done. <laughs> William Booth. <laughs> 
exactly. Have people heard of William Booth? A chain of missions was gradually formed with the power of God manifest in meeting after meeting. He was to be found preaching wherever people would listen. He was a foremost, he was a specialist in open air services and street corners. People were often stricken down in his meetings, overwhelmed with a sense of the presence and power of God. Many times in his life, he'd be stoned, battered, shoved, cursed, almost killed. And I like this bit. So much so that he had his own private bodyguard, an Irish prize fighter, (laughs) who was uh, one of his converts. He travelled extensively, but on returning to London in 1887, the sight of homeless men leaning um, on the rails on London Bridge prompted the beginning of a new phase of his organisation, and it was renamed the Salvation Army. He was known as the prophet to the poor. He provided accommodation for homeless people, training programmes, rescue homes for fallen women, homes for released prisoners, legal aid to the poor, and practical help for those with problems with alcohol. When he died in 1912, there were something like 7,000 full-time people working for the Salvation Army. Um, And it continues to do much good. He said this, you cannot warm the hearts of people with God's love if they have an empty stomach and cold feet. Massively practical. And William Booth was single-minded in his zeal, absolutely committed to his cause. He once said, while women weep, as they do now, I'll fight. While little children go hungry, I will fight. While men go to prison in and out and in and out, as they do now, I'll fight. While there's a drunkard left, while there's a poor girl still lost on the street, where there remains one dark soul without the light of God, I will fight, I will fight to the very end. Extraordinary guy. So another example I could give is, um, I'm sure many will know of her, Mother Teresa of um, Calcutta, or as it's, it's now called Kolkata, who founded the Missionaries of Charity, When she died in 1997, the organization had over 4,000 workers operating 600 missions in 123 countries. And she only got into this quite late in life. She was a school teacher. She felt called to Calcutta to go and serve on the streets, to pray for people who were dying. Uh, That was her legacy some years later. Those missions included hospices and homes for people with HIV, AIDS, and leprosy. Soup kitchens, children's and family counselling programmes, orphanages and schools. She said this, Let us touch the dying, the poor, the lonely and the unwanted according to the graces we have received. Show mercy even as we have been shown mercy. And let us not be ashamed or slow to do the humble work. Now when I was um, doing residential social work, Quite a long time ago, I had a friend called Gordon, and although the, the name isn't particularly relevant, uh, and he w- worked for Mother Teresa. He spent a year or so working in Calcutta with Mother Teresa, and he told me that um, she, would, she needed to raise funds, so she'd often fly out to capitals all over the world, go to America, she'd meet with senators, 
the president, uh, some of the most rich and powerful people in the world. And she'd come back into Calcutta, and she'd get off the plane, and she'd go straight onto the street, and she'd start praying for people. She'd go from seeing them, some of the richest and most powerful people in the world straight out to pray for people with nothing on the street. Uh, it's an amazing thing. Let us not be ashamed, she said, or slow to do the humble work. She demonstrated it. Or, or a guy called Simon Gilbow, I'd like, like to talk about now, who is often at New Day. New Days are um, big uh, celebration uh, camp in the summer for, for the young people um, across our group of churches. And if you ever have the opportunity to go to New Day to hear this guy, I would recommend it. He's an extraordinary guy. He moved to Burundi about 15 years ago. And when he moved out there, it was known to be the most dangerous country on the planet. And he actually thought, I I'll probably only live a few years. That was his thinking. I'll only live a few years. Uh, but now he thought he would, be, he would be killed for his faith, basically. Uh, but now, 15 years later... His organization supports 75,000 of the neediest people in Burundi every year, feeding the poor, starting schools, supporting small businesses, raising young leaders, broadcasting messages of peace and hope, demonstrating integrity. He's written a daily devotion book called Choose Life. Has anyone seen that? I know a number of people have got that and, 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 and read it. I do. It's fantastic. Every single page presents you with a challenge based on Scripture. It says, you know, he's not judging anyone, but he's saying, you know, this is what Scripture says. Are, are we, are we, how are we with this? Are we, are, we, are, we, are, we, are we living up to the challenge of this? Um, and he's uh, done a promo video for his um, daily devotional book, uh, which I find really challenging. I think we're going to look at it now. Just uh, listen to Simon Gilbow. Hi, this is me, Simon Gilbo, in Burundi, Central Africa, where I've been for the last 15 years having a crazy time. And uh, I want to introduce to you Choose Life. It's a daily devotional with a difference. You know, every day we make choices ranging from the mundane to the deeply significant. And yet every choice, for me, I believe is rooted fundamentally in a paradigm either of fear or of faith. And if we live from a place of, of faith, then we're open to God's possibilities for our lives. We can reach out and, and, and do what he's calling us to do and be what he's calling us to be. It means we're embracing the adventure of living rather than settling for the safety of existing. So many people, their highest aspiration is simply to arrive safely at death. And yet God is calling us to a better way. And, and Choose Life is 365 devotionals basically saying, you can do it. Believe that God believes in you, that you've got what it takes to be who he's called you to be. And that means that we can reach further, we can dig deeper, we can be used by him to, to change the world. So come on, go for it. Choose life. So... I find that massively challenging. Choose, are you going to live by faith or by fear? Choose life. 
become who God's called you to be and make a difference in the world. Isn't that fantastic? Isn't that challenging? Wow. So what does this mean for us here in, uh, at Hope? Well, one of the things that makes me uh, really proud to be part of this church is that um, a, lot, a lot of us here are, are already engaged in uh, meeting the needs of, of others in, in different ways. There's already a lot going on. So just in terms of some of the church projects and, and works, um, uh, Tom's wife, Sarah, runs the TOTS group, which is uh, a parent and, and toddler groups each week, nearly 60 mums coming to that. Uh, Sue Cornish, is, is Sue here? Sue Cornish runs Oasis, which is a, a twice-monthly club for older people. Uh, there's, Make, there's Make Lunch, which is now led by Rachel Ray. Is Rachel, Rachel here? Where is she? Um, she, she they, that, that provides a cooked meal once a week in the school holidays for families struggling with holiday hunger. Then there's the soup kitchen, uh, led by Paul and Mary Daly. Are Paul and Mary here? They were earlier. Um, somewhere. Yes, Paul at the back there. Um, and Caleb, how do go? How to go? Um, uh, how, how, uh, they, work, they, they lead it together, providing food for up to 40 people every Saturday night. And I, I was down here last night, and there's a team, as usual, going out uh, to, to, to bring food uh, to, to, to people on the street in Ipswich. And I know there are many people involved in, in all sorts of other, other things as well. Um, just list off a few Christians Against Poverty, Town Pastors, Emmaus, Talitha Coombe, The Noisy Group, The Teapot Project, Ipswich Winter Night Shelter, Prison Visiting, Family First, Charities Working in Romania, Supporting People with Learning Disabilities, Our, our Own Hope Cafe, and so on and so on. There's a lot um, going on. So if you, if you volunteer in one of those projects, um, or, or one of the ones I haven't mentioned, would you just indicate? Would you just indicate? I'd just like to see who, how many of us. There's a lot, aren't there? That's fantastic. So sh- I think we should give these guys a, a clap. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. You are, you are getting your hands dirty. You are doing stuff uh, that makes a difference. That is fantastic. I know many people volunteer for more than one project. Well, with the project, with, sorry, with the prospect of the Odeon and leading up to that, it gives us a great, great opportunity to have, I believe, even more impact on the town. Wouldn't it be good if we were known even more than we are now for being a community of believers? who engage with the needs of Ipswich effectively and compassionately. Wouldn't it be good if we raised more resources, perhaps with other churches, to serve the needs of even more people in the town? Wouldn't it be good if we were seeing increasing numbers coming to Christ through experiencing his love through many more expressions of mercy to the town? And and serving others in the community is one of the best evangelistic strategies, to be honest, we could ever have, isn't it? It brings us into contact with people who need Christ. It gives us opportunity to talk to them, to demonstrate his love, to show mercy just as we have received mercy. As Tim Keller, who has written extensively on this, says, 
if we are known as those adding real value by serving the needs of our town, our deeds will open up our words. Isn't that good? Our deeds will open up our words. We need to pray as a church how to work this out in the months ahead and where we focus our attention. So let's look uh, quickly at some, some stats. My daughters always tell me that people love stats. So let's have a look at some stats. So in Britain today, this is really, really sad. A million people are growing up without meaningful relationships with their fathers. There are currently 3.3 million workless households. There are an estimated 1 million people who have a drug problem of some kind. Around 700,000 adults with either a moderate or more serious problem with gambling. Every second, £2,000 is spent on pornography. It's estimated that 1.6 million people are affected by an eating, an eating disorder in some way. The average debt per household at over £45,000, which includes mortgages, equates to over £29,000 of debt for each adult in the UK, or 112% of our average annual income. So the debt is greater than how much you earn in a year on average. That's pretty scary. And then uh, we could look more specifically at Ipswich. Um, there's something called the Public Health Observatory, which is where the Public Health Department of the County Council and they, the Health Service work together uh, with the Office for National Statistics to produce all sorts of in, uh, information about areas. Um, and uh, you can get these graphs which show for each of those indicators where Ipswich is against the average. And uh, this is where Ipswich is an outlier compared to the average. So we're an outlier in children in low-income families. 21 or so percent of children in Ipswich live in low-income families. That's nearly 6,000 children. That's amazing, isn't it? If we could offer holiday hunger to 6,000 kids, wouldn't that be amazing? <laughs> that would be fantastic. We'd need a bigger building. <laughs> Anyone would think we might get one. Anyway. Um, <laughs> Uh, we're an outlier for GCSEs achieved. We're an outlier for violent crime. We're out, an outlier for long-term unemployment. We're an outlier for hospital stays, for self-harm, for teenage conception, for certain cancers, and for excess winter deaths. Man, there's a lot to do. <laughs> there's a lot to do. Yeah, you can look at our town sometimes, and it's a great town. You know, I'm not rubbishing the town. It's a great town. I'm proud to be in it. Um, but there's masses of need. Masses of need. And there are marked differences across the town. This is staggering. Life expectancy is 8.2 years lower for men and 4.2 years lower for women in the most deprived of areas of Ipswich compared to the affluent ones. So if you live in some places and you're a bloke, you're going to die eight years earlier than you would in another place. Isn't that extraordinary, isn't it? Just in coming into close... I just want to read this story. It's something I identify with because when I read it, it reveals to me the shallow nature of my motives. It's written by a theology student, uh, and it says this. A once beautiful woman, Angela, is withering away in front of the library steps on our campus. 
she wears many layers of clothes. They are plastered on her brittle body like clashing layers of peeling paint. She doesn't have socks on, but it's cold and the weather is growing hostile. I offered her food once, but she rudely rejected it. She turns away abruptly when I try to talk to her. Stung with a kind of bitterness, I recoil at her. But then I gradually begin to understand how prejudiced I am sometimes with my expectations of those in need. My arrogant anticipation of gratitude kills the goodness of the deed. She is hungry, exposed and sick. Yet I resist reaching out because she might not welcome me. Which one of us is truly sick? Angela is like a mirror thrust in front of me and I just can't bear the sight of it. Does that ring a bell for any of us? I can't love my neighbour like I should without being totally caught up in what Jesus has done for me. It's only when I recognise that I've received the most amazing mercy on the planet that I can truly begin to love Jesus as he loves. Could the, could the band uh, come up now? Yep, yeah, thanks, guys. By the way, weren't they, wasn't that a fantastic time of worship earlier? That's fantastic. Let's, let's clap the band as they come up. That was so good. Okay, well, I talked earlier about William Booth. When he was asked what is the secret of, of, of his success, uh, this is what he said. <clears throat> I'll tell you the secret. God has had all there is of William Booth. There have been, ben, there have been men with greater brains than I, men with greater opportunities, but from the day I got the poor of London on my heart and caught a vision of what Jesus Christ could do with me, on that day I made up my mind that God would have all of William Booth. If there is anything of power in the Salvation Army, it's because God has had all the adoration of my heart, all the power of my will, and all the influence of my life. That's incredibly challenging. Are we, <clears throat> as, as, as recipients of his mercy, are we going to give him that much? As Tim Keller says, God is lavish, abundant, and generous. Wherever we find ourselves, whatever we have, and whoever we come into contact with, let us be like him. He's lavish, abundant, and generous. And we've experienced his lavish, abundant generosity, haven't we? How can we not show mercy to those around us? We can't be like him without him. We need to be grateful recipients of his mercy. We need to be captivated by his love. We need to catch his heart so that we have the same heart as he has for the needs of others. So just while the band uh, perhaps play in the background, just thinking about how we could uh, respond to this, uh, I hope you're feeling that you want to. Um, and just while maybe the band are playing, 
I think the first thing to do maybe is to, is to pray. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for the town. I'm going to pray that God stirs our hearts. And as you, uh, perhaps you would pray too. So could we stand? Um, so as I pray, and you, if you want to, want to pray as I pray, just pray. Just say something to God on this. Lord Jesus, thank you that you love Ipswich. An extraordinary love. Thank you, Lord, Lord, for the mercy you have shown to us. Lord God, thank you that you have an extraordinary love for people in this town. Thank you, God, that you would show your love to them. You would have us demonstrate your love to those that need to see something of your love for them. Lord, oh God, I just pray that we would catch your heart on this. Catch your heart. Stir us, I pray. As recipients of your mercy, Lord, catch, just help us catch your heart that we might show mercy to those around us. Lord God, you've done everything for us. You were rich and you became poor so that we might become rich. Lord God, give us your heart. Give us your heart, Lord. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.